This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project. For more information on VLP and Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Hello! Hey, everyone. Wow, it's good to be back. <laughs> well, um, so over the past... I'll, I'll almost five weeks. You have seen Dan and me um, up here emceeing, but probably don't know much about us. And so we just wanted to give a little introduction before we talk. So Dan, can you just tell us what, what you've been up to this summer? And yeah, just a little bit about you. Yeah. Well, I graduated from the University of Minnesota in December of last year. And this spring, I've been raising support to be on staff with Camp Sarge at the University of Minnesota. And more importantly, I actually got married in May of this year. So here's a picture of my, me and my beautiful wife, Liz, who you actually saw earlier on here. I was pretty worried when they started talking about pet peeves, but thankfully they took their own advice and it didn't get too personal. But so we live right on the U's campus with our little puppy Crosby. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Gloria? Yeah, so I also graduated from the U of M this past spring. And I'm currently raising support as well to go on staff of Campus Outreach in Mexico through a program called CO Lead. And this picture right here actually has my team. So there's four of us coming from the U.S. to go down to Mexico. And then there's one who is currently in Mexico. It's at the bottom of the screen. So yeah. All right. Well, I am going to pray and then we're going to um, start, jump right into our talk. So let me pray. Um, dear Jesus, I just thank you so much that you are a good father and that, <clears throat> that we can trust you. And I thank you, Lord, that, um, that you in yourself, you brought us um, and redeemed and restored our relationship with God so that we no longer had to be separated, but um, by your death and resurrection can now come back in and be restored in relationship. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would take away any um, nervousness or fears that Dan or I may have, and would you just help us to speak and communicate really um, with calmness and with trust in our identities in you. So I pray that in your holy name, amen. All right, so now it's just me. <laughs> um, so, so far this summer, we have looked at God's plan. We've looked at a couple of, we've looked at various different topics. First, with, um, with Jeremiah, we looked at God's plan to bring a remnant of all peoples to himself um, through Jesus. We've also looked at, two weeks ago, Jess talked about Jesus fulfilling the need for a sacrificial lamb. And then last week, we talked about, through Emma, talking about how Jesus fulfills the law. And today, Dan and I will be talking about how Jesus fulfills the old covenant completely and restores our relationship with God so we can be near him. And so firstly, um, I just want to talk about how God was with us from the very beginning. And we see his unchanging character and his holiness. He is perfect, and that means that anything near him must uphold that standard. And also, anything that isn't will be destroyed because he is so holy and set apart from us. And one image that was really helpful for me to see or to think about was from the Bible Project. And they talked about how... Um, 
God is kind of like, or his holiness is sort of like the sun in the sense of the sun is an energy source. It gives life to things around it. But also if you get too close to it, it's very dangerous. And in fact, it will destroy you. And so that just gives me a little image of the holiness of the Lord and how it is upheld. So in the beginning, God's creation was meant to dwell with him. In fact, um, the first two people, Adam and Eve, um, lived with God in perfect unity. And that is the way that he created things. That's the way that um, he, that's the way that God wanted it to be. That was good in his sight. Um, however, Satan, the devil, tempted the man and the woman and they surrendered to that temptation. And in Genesis 3, 8, we actually see an effect of their sin. And so I'm actually going to play an audio clip from a ministry called Streetlights, which is out of Chicago. And um, one reason why I really enjoy their audio is because they use voices of people from different ethnic backgrounds. And so um, we're going to listen to Genesis 3.8. Yeah, and so we can see both from hearing that as well as reading the passage that it was a regular occurrence for God to be near his people. They knew what it sounded like to hear him walk. And as a result of their shame, because of not obeying God, they hid themselves from him. Um, and now we have a second clip also from Genesis 3, 23 through 24. And this is going to show another effect of their sin, which was separation from God. Yeah, and so not only was an effect of their sin um, shame because they disobeyed God, but also they were banished from the Garden of Eden because, as I said earlier, God is holy, and that means he's set apart. And so nothing that um, doesn't meet his standard of holiness can be in his presence. And so the people had to be um, separated from him. And um, yeah, honestly, if the story ended there, it would kind of feel like a tragedy. We would, be ended, we would end with the separation and wouldn't be able to see some sort of reconciliation or restoration of the relationship. And any story that's interrupted is a tragedy. Um, and one thing that one movie, musical masterpiece, sorry, that I saw last week was Hamilton. And I wanted to show a scene from it. So basically just to lay the stage, so to speak, um, <laughs> um, the, there are two characters who are about to um, be a part of a duel. And the point I want to make is that interrupting the story brings a sense of tension and it feels really un unresolved. So let's watch this clip from Hamilton. Wow. Yeah, and so um, as we see from that clip, we don't actually know what happens after that. Um, and it just feels like, oh, I wanna know, like, does he survive? Does he die? What actually happens? But the story that we are talking about, unlike Hamilton, um, is not unresolved. And um, we'll see that as we move forward. And so next, um, we can see throughout the Old Testament how the presence of the Lord was experienced despite separation. And so as the nation of Israel is created, um, there's still a very real separation between God and man because God is holy and we are not. You and I are not holy. And so there's a separation between us. Um, but as we can see, the character of God has not changed since the garden or eternity before that. He is still holy, as I've said multiple times before, but he also desires to dwell near his people because he loves them. And um, as time passes on, the nation of Israel becomes 12 different tribes, 
And one of those tribes is the tribe of Levi, along with other Israelite priests. And they had the privilege of um, being priests to the Lord. And so through looking at different text commentaries, I was able to understand a little bit more clearly about how the Lord dwelt with his people after the fall, but before Jesus came to earth. So I have a picture to show, and um, it actually is artist um, depictions of what the tabernacle and the temple could have looked like. And in the book of Exodus, there are specific dimensions and figures that are given for the creation of the tabernacle. And if you read it, it was ornate. The finest woods and the most vibrant colors of cloth were used to decorate its interior. And um, I think that the beauty of the first temple was supposed to, rep to, supposed to represent and exemplify the absolute glory of what would be dwelling in it, which was God. And one point that I always think about from Emma's talk is how she was saying that at Walmart, so to speak, you wouldn't necessarily dress up, but going to a castle, you would because you want to match the beauty um, or elegance of whatever you're going into, whatever is being showcased before you. And so that is why the temple and the tabernacle were so beautiful. Um, also, these were meant to be a meeting place between God and man. And so the priests made sacrifices for their sins as well as the sins of the people. Um, and the Holy of Holies is where God said that he would appear. And so let's look at Leviticus 16.2, which says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And I think that this passage just reveals that there wasn't a face-to-face -face interaction between Aaron and, the, and his sons and God, but there was a veil that was separating them. Um, there was a real barrier between God and man. And as I mentioned before, God is holy and he is set apart and deserving of reverence and honor. So he couldn't be around the unholiness of the people. Um, and yeah, there was still this just very real separation between God and man. But there was hope. Um, we have the future promises of God with us. So as the Old Testament continues, we see God speaking directly through the prophets to showcase how he would work and would once again dwell with his people. He was going to make all things new and transform them through sending his son Jesus to die for sinners. And so we can see this throughout the Old Testament, but I chose two different um, prophets. And the first one was Isaiah. And in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so this is a clear picture of, first of all, God being born of a virgin um, and coming to be God with us, dwelling amongst man once again. Secondly, I um, have a passage that actually is from Hebrews, which is in the New Testament of the Bible, but it is quoting back to Jeremiah. And so this is, again, we're going to listen to a little clip from Street Lights. And they're actually playing in the New Living Translation version. I forgot to mention that before, but let's listen to it. Great. So a couple of things to point out. The first covenant had faults. Um, it says that directly in the first line of this verse. So we needed something or someone to come and make a completely new way 
a completely new covenant, and that was Jesus. And, and so we also can see from this passage that not only is there a new covenant that is coming, but God is going to put the law into the people's minds and write them on their hearts. And I believe that this is actually pointing to the Holy Spirit who Jesus would send after he died and rose again and then ascended back into heaven. He gave the Holy Spirit to his people to be with them. And there was over 400 years between the prophets speaking and Jesus actually coming to earth. And I think it's just very interesting and significant to know because the U.S. as a country has probably been around for about over around 250 years. So it's kind of crazy to think that even in the time that this country, that this nation has been established, um, people would have still been waiting and there would have still been a sense of like that tension, that feeling of unresolved that I was talking about earlier. Um, but something incredible would happen with our relationship with God because it would be completely restored in Jesus by his death and resurrection. And so in summary, originally the creation of God, you and me were supposed to dwell with God. That is the way that he planned it. That's the way he wanted it to be. But because of our unholiness, because of our sin, um, and his complete holiness, we were separated. But there were different structures like the tabernacle or the temple, which were created for a space for God and man to meet. And these things were just a shadow, though, and not the fullness of what was actually to come, because hope was coming. Jesus was that hope, and he came to, again, restore our position um, with the Lord. So finally, I want to share another clip from Hamilton. And this just shows, I think, how a full story brings hope. And so this is towards the end of the play, and Eliza Schuyler Hamilton is singing about all the things that she was able to do in the latter half of her life. Hey guys. So Gloria, as, we looked through, as she looked through the Old Testament with us, she painted this picture of uh, a shadow, is the word she just used, of God creating a way for his people to be with him, but it not being the same or not being the fullness that his presence was with Adam and Eve in the garden when he walked with them. So as we've done with all of the talks this summer, we are going to look at how Jesus has fulfilled God's presence with us. So throughout this Old Testament, we see, throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, we see glimpses of what God is going to do, of God's plan. We see his promise to Abraham to David, to his people Israel through the prophets and through his word. And I really want to go back to that promise from Isaiah that Gloria showed us. And we're going to actually look in the book of Matthew of how Jesus fulfills that promise. So Matthew 1, 21 to 23 says, She will bear him a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see that what Isaiah talked about hundreds of years before Jesus came, Jesus fulfills in coming to earth. And that's the point I really want to look at in the New Testament, is, is that Christ entered in to reunite us with God. So we see with Adam and Eve, God is walking with them, and sin forms a separation between men and women and God. And in the law, he creates a way for men and women to be righteous in his sight. 
but his presence with the Israelites doesn't look the same. So we even see God tells Moses to tell his brother Aaron that if Aaron goes into the presence of God beyond the veil, he will die. And that's because God is so holy that if we go into his presence with sin, we, we will die. And the law, well, it was God created the law as a way to allow his people to come to him. It wasn't a temporary solution. And the author of Hebrews says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So like Gloria said about a story interrupted is a tragedy. The same way, if we just had the law, it would be a tragedy because without what the law was pointing towards, it couldn't do anything. The blood, the blood of those sacrifices couldn't permanently remove the sin of the people and allow them to be with God. And it wasn't just a, it wasn't just, it couldn't be a permanent solution, not just because it was messy or because you had to keep doing it, but because it truly could not make people righteous in God's sight. However, two weeks ago, Jess, in her talk, talked about how Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Aaron couldn't go beyond the veil into God's presence because of his sin. God's presence with Israel was limited because of their sin. But what Jesus has done is he came. He took, he lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law as we see, as we saw last week in Emma's talk. He fulfilled the law and he became the perfect sacrifice. And if we accept the gospel, if we trust in Jesus' sacrifice for him, our sins are completely forgiven. And because of this, we can be with God. That barrier of our sin that was there is gone. And once and for all, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, has taken that guilt away if we trust in him. And I think it's important to realize God in the New Testament is the same as in the Old Testament. He isn't less holy. Nothing about the requirements to be with him has changed, but it's only what Jesus has done that has changed. So instead of us going, when us being unable to go into God's presence because of our sin, because of Jesus taking the blame, when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He just sees Christ's righteousness covering us. So the author of Hebrews goes on to talk about Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. So we're going to have another clip from Streetlights. So I really like this passage because a word that really stands out to me is confidence. And when we look at the Old Testament, only one time a year, the priest would be able to go into the holy place, into God's presence. And there's an entire chapter of the Bible dedicated to explaining the specific sacrifices and rituals that the priest would have to do to purify himself. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that in Christ, we not only can enter in, but we can enter in confidently or boldly with full assurance because of what Jesus has done. And that's an amazing thing in the gospel. In the gospel, we see the incredible lengths that God went, went to so that we could be with him. He saw there was a separation between us and he wanted to be with us so much that he sent his son to die so that that barrier of our sin could be taken away. So if we've seen now what Jesus has done in fulfilling this, what does it mean for us? So, yeah, that's the question I really want to talk about. Okay, so if we say in Christ we can be in God's presence, what does that look like? And I think that 
first of all, this is a really amazing thing. And one thing that it means is to be with God is to be fully known and fully loved. And that's just a really hard thing to wrap my mind around. I know for myself, there are things about me that I don't want people to know. I'm sure you all can relate. And I like the reason we feel these things is because deep down inside, there are things that I think if, if people knew this about me, they would think differently about me. Maybe they would even not want anything to do with me. They'd push me away. And the, yeah, the idea of being fully known is scary to me. And I think as I've realized this, the as, as we come into relationship with people and grow closer to people, they start to see more of us. When you first meet someone, you can sometimes put on a good face and show your good side. But as you spend more time with someone, the, the bad stuff's going to come out. And I, so I got married two months ago. And in the two, those two months, my wife has found out some of those things about me. It's when you live with someone all the time, it's some of those things come out. And this is just kind of a goofy example. But I have grown up my whole life lying about my flossing habits because the only person who asked me was the dental hygienist. So once a year, I would realize I had the dentist appointment the next morning and I would fit six months of flossing into one day. I would go in, the dental hygienist would say, did you floss? I'd say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she'd be like, you gotta do a, do a little better next time. And I'd be like, I will. And then I'd go back and do the same thing. And I hated being asked about flossing because I was like, I, I knew that I wasn't doing what I was saying. And I knew that I should be flossing. I knew that it was good for me, but I just didn't do it. And this is probably way more information about my flossing habits than you want to know. But this is just an example of pretty shortly after being married, my wife, who is a very faithful flosser, found out that I don't floss very much. And she asked me when the last time I flossed was, and it was far too long before. But thankfully, because my wife loves me, she wasn't push, she didn't push me away because I don't floss. She encouraged me to grow. So it's, it's not a perfect example, but the same, in the same way, God knows everything about us. He knows things way worse than my, about me than my flossing habits. And he knew them all along. He didn't just find them out. He saw us. He saw us for who we are, who we were. He knew everything about me and you, and he still looked at us and said, I love you, and I'm willing to send my only son to die for you. And when you are fully known by someone and still loved, it's freeing. There's no need to bring something to the table for God to love us. There's no need for us to put on a pretty face, but we can go to him open-handed and know that he loves us because he saw us at our worst and was willing to send his own son to die for us. So I wanna show another clip from the movie Hamilton, which I also watched this weekend. And just, I don't wanna spoil it for anyone, but a little context. In this movie, Alexander, the main character, has done some pretty, really bad things, terrible things. And his wife, Eliza, has sworn to have nothing to do with him. And because of the things he's done, she has every right to feel this way. So we're, I'm gonna show you a song and then I'll explain a little more. So in this clip, we see Eliza knows everything that Alexander has done. She has seen it all, but she still chooses to go to him and to be with him. And so much more than that, God knew everything that we've done and 
not only did he know it, but we'd done those things against him. And he had every right to push us away, and not just to push us away, but to destroy us because of our sin against him. And he still loved us and desired to be with us. And we see this desire throughout the New Testament. We see him call Christians saying, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And it's, it really is a freeing thing to be fully known and fully loved by someone. And he, he loves us and he wants us to draw near. And a second part of what it means or what God's presence looks like is he reveals himself to us. So not only does God desire us and know us, he wants us to know him more. And that's because knowing God is the very best thing for us. When we love someone, our lives are better because of them. Like if you think about your best friends and you think about what your life would look like if they weren't there, it would be worse. And so much more, if we're in relationship with God, he makes our lives so much better. He is, he knows, God knows that he is the only one who will bring us satisfaction and joy. And throughout the Bible, we see God calling out to his people who are pursuing idols. They're going different ways, saying, come back to me, because he knows that he's the only thing that will satisfy them. This, in Psalm 84, the, the psalmist says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to feast in the tents of the wicked. And God wants us to be with him. So I don't know if you're familiar with the five love language, languages, but my number one love language is quality time. And when I, I feel like the point at which I'm really comfortable with someone is when I can just be with them and not necessarily have to be doing something, not have to have like a specific conversation that we're having, but just to be with them. And a sweet thing about God revealing himself to us is he has given us his spirit. So Jesus, when Jesus came, he was with people on earth and he left and he said, in his great commission, he said, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And he gives, he gives Christians the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God within us all the time. So if we contrast that with the Old Testament, where the priests one time a year could go into God's presence, we have God within us and we can go to him whenever we need to. We saw that he calls us to draw near to him. He says he's near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. He tells us to cast our anxieties on him. So this crazy reality of God being within us means that we can be with God all the time. And another way that he, another way that he reveals himself to us is through his word. And I have been really helped in the last couple of years of just the way that I think about the Bible by a reading plan, which several of the people on staff will rave about. But in this plan, I read, there's 10 chapters a day from throughout the Bible. And because of that, I'm reading stories from books that I maybe forgot even existed. I'm reading stories that don't make sense to me. But something that has really stood out is similar to what we're looking at this summer with the looking at the whole Bible and how it points to Jesus. Every part of the Bible is teaching us about God. It's, it's different than like a history book that you'd learn about in school. Because in school, you're learning about these events so that you can write them down. 
and pass your test. Maybe you really, really like history and you are doing it for fun, but you're not in a relationship with the people that you're learning about. But with the Bible, God has given it to us as a way for us to get to know him. So when I read the Bible, a lot of times it feels like a chore or something I know I should do. But what God has given us the Bible for is to reveal himself and to draw near to us by teaching us about him. So, yeah, as we think about what it means that God is with us, it's a very personal thing where God is seeking to be in a relationship with him, with us. He wants to know us and he does know us perfectly and he loves us through that. And he wants us to draw near to him and know him more. So I want to move into application of, okay, so what, what do we do? And I want to start this by just looking at a verse in Revelation, Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. So this verse maybe is a little weird. I think when I hear this verse, I think of The Hobbit, where Bobo Baggins is in his his little house and all of a sudden here's a knock on the door and then comes a dwarf and it's like over the course of the next five minutes like these 12 super hungry dwarfs come in and eat all his food and doesn't seem like something that's that appealing but this is different this is the god of the universe is saying i am knocking on your door i want to come in and be with you like the picture of eating with someone is like a family like i think of like a family dinner of just talking about things, sometimes talking too loudly, sometimes arguing, but you're communing with people. You're growing closer to people as you're with them. And God wants that with us. So as we move to application, I just want the question to be, is the way that I approach God as a person or as something to do or as a set of rules? I hear, like, we talk about relationship with Jesus. We throw that phrase around. But in my own life, does my relationship with him look like a relationship? Do I view him as personal or abstract? And practically, I think God has given us ways to be with him and to learn more about him. So one of those ways we talked about was prayer. And I think for me, for an application, a lot of times my prayer life looks like asking for things when I am struggling with something where if I have a hard test coming up, I, I'm, I think of praying, I'm like, okay, God help me with this test. And that's not really a relationship. That's more like a vending machine. Uh, A lot of times I think, okay, I need something. I'm going to hit this prayer button and hope that God gives it to me. But something that's been helpful for me is the, ACTS model for prayer of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, where it feels like a conversation of I can go to God and adoration is saying, God, this is what I love about you. And confession is, God, there's something in between us. If if with my friends, if there was something in between me and one of my friends, it's hard to spend time with them if there's this thing gnawing at me where I know it's getting in between us. So confessing to God is a way of bringing us closer together because he he knows everything we've done already and he still loves us. So us confessing to him is moving towards him. Thanksgiving is saying, God, I appreciate this about you. And I don't do this enough with my friends, but I hope that with your friends, you tell them what you love about them. And supplication, God God loves to give us good things and he 
wants to, to help us. So you can ask God for things. And then with the Bible, just I, I want to think for myself, is, am I reading the Bible like a textbook? Or am I looking for God in this? Am I thinking, what does this passage teach me about God and how can I apply it to my life? So we've, saw, we've seen throughout the whole Bible, we see that we were with God, we were walking with him, Adam and Eve were walking with him, and then there was a separation because of sin. And Jesus has taken away the guilt that separated us from God. But in the same way that it would have been a tragedy if the New Testament, or the the law was the end. The New Testament is similarly a shadow of what is going to be in heaven. And I just want to leave on a word of hope uh, from Revelation 24, which is a picture of what eternity with God is going to be like. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So God loves you, and he wants to be with you, and he's made ways for you to get to know him better. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of discussion. God, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you didn't leave us, but you made a way for us to be with you. You showed your love in Christ coming and dying for us to bring us to yourself. So God, would you grow us? Would you show yourself to us? And God, would we be people who love you and seek to get to know you too? I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project, hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please do not charge for, edit, or alter the message in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.